welcome to another episode of the Pitch Life Podcast. Today's episode focuses on the holiest of days in the football calendar, Transfer Deadline Day. We've had a fair few drama-filled Transfer Deadline Days in the past. Maybe this summer will be the same, maybe it won't, who knows. A lot to unfold here, a lot to unpack, so let's get right into it. Now, before we begin, I would like to, you know, put, a, put ahead like a small disclosure. Uh, we're recording this episode on the 31st of August, a day before transfer deadline day, so there's a good chance that if there's any news that comes out tomorrow, we probably haven't covered it. So please don't yell at us, please. It, it hurts our feelings. But yeah, moving on. Uh, all the big clubs have made moves, a lot of big sales, historic sales, British record sales, and... I think it's best we start with London, the capital. Now, the, the title for this category that I've chosen is called Stupidity, right? I'm, I've split all of these into different categories. The four categories are Stupidity, Misery, Smarts, Chaos. Each club has had their own versions of this. We're going to start with Stupidity. Now, Mir, I want to ask you this. What was more stupid, Spurs selling Harry Kane or Arsenal buying Kai Havertz? I'll tell you what was more stupid. It was not including Chelsea in the stupidity category. But, you know, as a fan, I'm happy. I'm happy with that. I'll take I'll take them out of that category any day. Um, coming to-, to be fair, Chelsea could have been in any of these categories. Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. They are there. They are in one of the categories. They're just not in the stupidity category. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the stupider decision was Arsenal buying Kai Havertz. Again, as a Chelsea fan, it gives me no greater pleasure than to say this. Of course it does. Who am I kidding? But um, Arsenal buying Havertz, definitely a stupid decision for me. Harry Kane was more of a forced hand than a stupid decision. I think the stupid decision happened three years ago with Kane when they could have sold him for a hell of a lot more money. Uh, yeah, so um, Arsenal for me. Yeah, it's really hard to argue against that. I'm I'm totally with you there. I, I, I cannot figure out why Arsenal bought Guy Havertz. And, and for a pretty massive fee from a direct rival, they gave Chelsea something like 75 million euros incredible piece of business for Chelsea. That's that's exactly why I wouldn't put Chelsea in like the stupidity category because they've they've made some good sales. And but we bought him Arsenal, yeah, I we I bought don't. him for 71 million. Can you imagine that? And and we sold yeah. him for almost the same price after 3 years at the club. Yeah. It's crazy. I I I guess that's what uh, a goal in the Champions League final gets you. There you go. There you go. But yeah, I mean I I agree with pretty much everything you've said. Uh I, I don't understand this move at all. Uh, to be fair to Arsenal, they, they have made good signings. Like Declan Rice, he came at a massive fee from West Ham, like 115 million euros or something like that. Uh, but we all know what he's capable of. He's English, so you know there's the English tax that's associated with it. But he's a solid uh, defensive midfielder. Someone who could be a part of Arsenal's... Uh, starting 11 for many, many, many years to come. And uh, they also signed Timber from Ajax, who 
last summer was linked with Manchester United, I believe, but that move never happened. And he's moved to the Premier League this time with uh, Arsenal. If it wasn't for him getting uh, a long-term injury in the first couple of games of the season, yeah, he he would have he would have uh, been quite a signing for them. the The only uh, you know downside of this transfer window for Arsenal is Kai Havertz. Absolutely, and Ars- if you look at Arsenal's squad, it's almost the the squad that Arteta has built is almost worth just under a billion pounds now, second only to Manchester City. And I'm I'm talking squad value, not not purchase price. So what what they are worth currently in the market, and which shows a massive amount of growth, because just three years ago they were out of the Champions League, they were out of the Europa League, and they were worthless pretty much. Right, um, and the great bit about this window is that Arteta has done all of his business quite early. They haven't left a lot for transfer deadline day, so he's had en- enough time to settle with this squad. Uh, come come game week one, um, Granit Xhaka leaving, obviously a very polarizing player at the club, um, but he left with his reputation intact, surprisingly. Uh, and like you said, he was replaced adequately by Declan Rice. Um, you know, English homegrown talent um, can move further forward with the ball. He's almost playing at the in the first few games I've seen him. He's played at the tip, the top tip of the uh, sort of an attacking midfielder pyramid, right? So he's not he's not really the defensive uh, minded Xhaka in a way. Probably he'll get uh, ample less red cards as well. Um, Timber, obviously another another versatile defender, I think. Um, but you know the the thing that excites me most about Arsenal is the fact that they overpaid for Havertz. I just I just can't understate that um, enough. I think the 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 fact that we bought him for a similar price is one thing, but he just isn't suited for the Premier League, right? The fast pace of the Premier League. He, yeah. He plays. He, at, he, he looks out of place. Yeah, he he's he's kind of in that um, uh, sort of a knockoff of uh, Dimitar Berbatov, if you will. Right, plays plays the game at his own little slow, languid pace. Um, which which really, I I don't know if that really fits into Arteta's style. So that's where I'm confused about this transfer overall. And 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 the the two two draw against Fulham. Recently, where they where Fulham were down to ten men and they still couldn't get the win, just gave us that final answer. And and Arsenal fans, three games in, are already on the fence about Havertz. I mean that that really tells you something. I mean, you buy a seventy million player from a direct rival, and he's been shit for them the last two seasons. But you still buy him just for him to be shit for you too. Just doesn't understand. Yeah, don't get it. Don't get it. Yeah, and I, I guess the only thing that has to be said about Kai Havertz is maybe maybe he'll prove us wrong. Maybe, you know, Arteta will get something out of him because that's one thing that's been the theme of uh, this Arsenal squad under Arteta. They've just gone about proving everyone wrong. This might be another instance of that. Who knows? But, you know, we've, we've focused on Arsenal enough. Let's take a look at Spurs for a second because they did lose Harry Kane, and that is a very, very big loss, no matter how you put it. Uh but they seem to have come out of it perfectly fine. I mean, there aren't really any echoes of, you know, the post-Gareth Bale era where they went and bought a bunch of expensive players and they all flopped. 
It looks a bit more cautious, a bit more measured this time around by Daniel Levy. Uh, obviously gotten a new manager who's uh, put in a, a good style of play. It's style of play that we're still seeing develop, sort of. Uh, the feeling around the squad, the feeling around the club seems to be good. They brought in James Madison from Leicester for a you know, cut-price fee because Leicester got relegated. Uh, Mickey van de Ven, also linked with Liverpool earlier in the window, ended up going to Spurs. Seems like a solid young defender. We'll see about that. Overall, I think they've come out of this looking well. And not to mention the fact that they sold Harry Kane to a big club, got a big fee for him, a hundred million uh, euro fee for him. And they managed to sell him to someone who's not in the Premier League. That's actually, I think, really, really good business by Daniel Levy. Harry Kane is Tottenham Hotspur and Tottenham Hotspur is Harry Kane. At least that's how it's been for the past decade. Um, so for them to have to sell their talisman is bad enough. But I, I, I will give them that. They've, they've managed to evade the whole direct rival uh, thing. So, yeah, he's going to be a huge loss, not just to Spurs, but also to the league in general. I think, I think we loved watching Kane. I think we'll agree that his 25, 30 goals a season is something pretty special, right? And um, uh, Alan Shearer must just be over the moon right now um, with the fact that Sp- uh, Kane's just going to find it so much harder to beat his his record. But um, you're right. James Madison has looked super sharp since arriving. Um, if I was still playing FPL, I'd have definitely have ha- had him in my team because he's, he's got the all-round trickery plus the goals and assists. Definitely not the losers in this transfer window, I don't think. For sure, for sure. I think I think you could also say that it was a, a smart bit of business for them, but but not smart enough, I would say, to meet uh, the rigorous standards of our next category, which you know I've smartly entitled "Smarts." Don't you don't you just love it when I get uh, really go. creative? There you go. That's the all of the stuff. Yeah. That's the level of cutting edge analysis you get on this podcast. Absolutely. Now the two teams that we're going to focus on over here. Do you want to take a guess which teams I'm talking about? Well, I can guess City because uh, they, they're they well, truly yeah, smart business, is, but uh, keen to see who the other one is. The second team is Newcastle United. Oh, the, the, the next Manchester City, been, you mean? Uh, you know, the next Manchester City, yes. Um, at least I think they've been smart about how they've uh, handled their business so far. Let's start with Manchester City. I mean, they they've sold... Important players. Mares is out. Laporte is out. Uh, Gundogan is out. Uh, two of those three going to Saudi Arabia. One of them going to Barcelona. Although on a free transfer, but Barcelona nonetheless. Not really that much generated from income, but for a club like Manchester City, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, sure, you, you generate some income from player sales. It doesn't matter. It's their incomings that I think have been... Uh, Incredible, because it's not like they lost players of significance who... I mean, they were significant players. It's just not, you know, like the team revolved around uh, Mares, Laporte, or Gundogan. And they've gone ahead and replaced them with some absolutely incredible young players. Centre-back, we've got Guardiol coming in from RB Leipzig for like 90 million euros. Uh, recently, they announced uh, they've signed Jeremy Doku as well, the winger 
for about 60 million euros. A bit overpriced, but, you know, he's young, he's 21, he's got bucket loads of talent, he's going to evolve. Bucket loads of pace and, as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but these two aside, the signing that really impressed me was Kovacic from Chelsea for, what, like 30 million euros? Yeah, 35 million. But, I, I yeah, I absolutely am disappointed with that. Um, and it comes at a perfect time for City because Kevin De Bruyne is obviously injured, going to be on the sidelines for a lot longer than they expected. And Kovacic provides that cut and thrust to find that, you know, thread of the needle pass to Haaland, which obviously not not at the level of De Bruyne, but definitely can do the job in his absence. But overall, I think what what else can you say, right? I mean, it's almost like the juggernaut continues to steamroll. No matter what happens on the pitch, they're, they're kind of winning it off the pitch as well. Um, we might end up, you know, criticizing some of their incomings in terms of lack of incomings for a City squad. But, you know, we eventually end up getting slapped in the face anyway at the end of the season. So what's what's even the point? I think after the uh, the World Cup, I'm, I have been a fan of Josco Guardiol. I think I think he's a he's a terrific defender. Uh, really mature for his age, and I think seventy million is a steal, considering what Guardiola will yeah. will do with him. Uh, Kovacic, yep. as you mentioned, definitely a steal for thirty five million. Uh, I think we did some good business there because we bought him for forty and sold him for thirty five. So kudos to Chelsea as well. But um, I think we sold him a bit prematurely. So uh, City are the real winners on that one, um, and. As of the thing about Kovacic that impresses me the most is like, look, I've seen him play for Chelsea, not extensively, but you know, I've I've seen him play a fair bit last season. I don't know if you'd agree with me on this statement, but over the past two three game weeks that he's played for City, he already looks miles better than what he ever was for Chelsea. I don't know if that's just part of being, you know, uh, in general a better squad. I don't know if it's the Guardiola effect, but that's what's really impressing me about Kovacic. I don't think it's the squad of City. I think it's the system because um uh, he just wasn't allowed to flourish in that sort of system. I mean, Chelsea as a team because of the injuries that we've had over the past few years at to crucial attacking positions. Um, we've just been a more defensive side over the last three seasons. And Kovacic is not someone who's been able to express himself. Now, with the with the kind of security he has behind him with Rodri and the defense, he can almost fly forward with ease. And I think he can express himself a lot more. And I'm actually happy for him that, that you know, the, the, the real Kovacic that we saw in Chelsea's season one is finally coming back to the fore, the, the one that couldn't succeed at Real Madrid. Um, but... Kovacic aside, I think the the thing that surprised me most, and this is something that has developed over the past two days, is Cole Palmer, um, the 21-year-old who... Uh, He's off to Chelsea. Yeah, he is off to Chelsea. And Chelsea, my God, have paid $45 million for a 21-year-old who is literally the fourth-choice striker at City. So not only have they managed to replace all of the core squad that's left they've also managed to palm off forgive the pun Cole Palmer to Chelsea and uh, that is an incredible piece of business now obviously if he turns out to be a Salah or a De Bruyne you know uh, that 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 just flourished late in the league it's great but 
knowing how Chelsea's scattergun approach has been, I think it's a win for City. Uh, this the this transfer window. So, yeah, I, I really don't think that he'll end up becoming like a De Bruyne or a Salah because to do that you have to leave Chelsea. So there's still time. I feel sure. The worst part is. Chelsea have bought a player that's going to play behind both Raheem Sterling in terms of pecking order and Noni Madueke. So we're basically bought a 45 million third choice left winger or right winger, sorry. I mean, uh, just, that's, that's just, you know, a perfect example of the exceptional business that Manchester City have done because he's not the only youngster they've sold. They've sold a few others for, for pretty big sums. I, I don't really have the list in front of me, but I remember reading they sold a couple of their academy players who hadn't really even played in the Premier League and they were getting bids of like 15 and 20 million pounds for those. And that's just, yeah, great, great business. I, I don't know what more is left to say for Manchester City and I can see her itching to talk about Chelsea and we will get there. But before we get there, the team that I want to talk about since we're already here, is Newcastle, or, you know, as you like to call them, uh, Manchester City version 2, right? Uh, everyone expected them to go go big this summer. Uh, PIF has tons of money. Everyone knows that. They didn't go that big this summer. They've uh, signed Tonali from AC Milan. To be honest, I didn't see that uh, transfer coming. It I don't think even AC Milan saw it coming. I don't think Tonali saw it coming. It just sort of, you know, happened. Uh, 64 million pounds, uh, million euros is the fee for Tonali. They also signed uh, Barnes from Leicester. Harvey Barnes from Leicester. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, a cut price uh, deal because, well, Leicester got relegated. That's that's just the harsh reality of uh, relegation. Uh, also signed uh, Livermento from Southampton, who also got relegated. And... Yeah, those those were like the three notable uh, transfers coming in. Oh, not not sensational, not spectacular, not you know world beating. Nothing even close to the likes of Rubinho going to Manchester City in two thousand eight. Uh, but yeah, here we are. A, 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 a decent squad made even better, and they're definitely building slowly but surely. Yeah, so and and uh, as we saw this morning uh, with the Champions League draw, they are actually in the group of death uh, as we see it. Uh, do you remember who's who's in there with them? I know it's uh, Dortmund for one. It, it's Dortmund, PSG, AC Milan and Newcastle. Yeah. So Tonali gets his uh, AC Milan reunion much earlier than he would have uh, expected. There we go. There we go. But yeah, I mean, you, you make a very good point. They haven't... They still, we're still waiting for Newcastle to flex their muscles and PIF to really pump in the cash. But they seem to be going almost like a sustainable, you know, mid-size, mid-mid-budget model, which is which is great. Uh, Sandro yeah. Tonali has has always been that heir to Andrea Pirlo. You know, he was he was that when he was first coming through the ranks. He got his move to AC Milan. Didn't really didn't really do much there. So uh, this this Newcastle thing might just um, you know take him up a level. Um, I think Livramento. Tony, it was definitely a shocking transfer. It definitely was. It definitely was. And and he he scored on his debut right um, on in game week one. So that that was a great start. You know, builds his confidence. Uh, Tony Livramento and Lewis Hall. Lewis Hall was a shocker for me. I mean, both Chelsea academy graduates sold to Newcastle. Uh, Livermento was an awesome mm, yeah. prospect. You know, we should have kept him. I think. I think it was just um, too many players in the squad, and this was this was about two years ago. So this was before 
uh, slightly before Bowley, Todd Bowley. But Lewis Hall was an absolute shocker. I think he's been really making waves, coming on in cup games and really changing the game single-handedly from the left wing. Why we sold him, obviously we got 18 to 20 million, which is not a lot of money, to be honest. Uh, so if if we did want to get someone off the books, I think we 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 had other options. Uh, and why are Chelsea selling to rivals anyway? I keep going on about them. Um, but yeah, I would say good stable summer for Newcastle, and uh, uh, I feel they might even go far in the Champions League. Just my just my gut feel. Fair enough. It's the first Champions League that they're going to be taking part in in uh, quite a few decades. So it'll be interesting to see how it all goes down. Now, I can just tell that you're really itching to talk about Chelsea, right? Like, I know that there's a a lot of stuff you want to say. I know that there's a lot of misery that you want to voice. But I'm going to stop you, and I'm going to make you a little bit more miserable. But I can guarantee you it's not going to be as... It's not going to be as miserable as our next category, which I've titled Misery, where we take a look at Liverpool and Manchester United. Both teams going into the transfer window knew that they had to make serious moves, big moves. They needed to revamp their squad. They needed to, uh, you know, go in uh, to the season with a strong squad, do well, meet their aims. Because both seem like they're kind of on shaky ground. I, I, I know I said that, you know, Manchester United, maybe because they already qualified for the Champions League last season, Maybe they were a bit uh, better off than Liverpool, but coming out of this transfer window right now, I can't really say the same. So between the two, between Liverpool and Manchester United, who do you think has had the worse or the more miserable window? You're not going to like this. I think the clear favourite here in this misery category is Liverpool. Um I say that because... So you think Liverpool have had the worst transfer window? I think so. And and I'll tell you why. Considering you you have made signings, right? You haven't had a barren window. But Liverpool, on record, have the smallest squad in the Premier League right now. You have 23 players. I mean, coming from a Chelsea fan, that's, that's, that's something. But then I would say even for normal-sized squads, that's pretty small. That's it, right? Um, in terms of incomings, you've you've done great business where you've done business. McAllister, good signing, thirty-five millions, amazing, amazing. You know, broke his release cross, got him. Soboslai, or however you pronounce his name, Soboslai. There he is. So amazing midfielder. He's 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 shown glimpses of you know legend quality, and I think seventy million will be a steal uh, for him. But other than that, I don't think you've really made any great shakes in the window i mean there was that epic caught with your pants down in a hailstorm moment with uh not once but twice Caicedo and lavia. with yeah. yeah with with chelsea and uh chelsea getting caicedo and lavia so that that was obviously embarrassing on many levels for a club like liverpool that are so thoughtful and precise with their um transfer strategies um obviously you know you've got judas jordan henderson <laughs> Who, who who left for Saudi Arabia that we've uh, we've discussed in our previous episode, um, and then Fabinho, you know, losing Fabinho, Firmino uh, to Saudi was a was a massive loss. So overall, I think even though you've signed two massive gems in midfield, 
uh, and maybe Wataro Endo, right? That that um, Caicedo knockoff. From Stuttgart, yeah. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you've done enough, um, and and as well as Liverpool would have liked. But but let's let's get the insider's perspective. What do you think? I I agree with you a little bit. I think I think Liverpool have had an incredibly average uh, transfer window. Going in, we knew we needed a midfield rebuild. To a certain degree, that has happened. Uh, we weren't ready to lose Fabinho and Henderson, but at the same time, it made sense to sell them when the offers did come in. Because, let's be honest, there was no way anyone was going to come in with a £40 million offer for Fabinho. I mean, we bought him for like £45 million, right? Four or five years ago. Uh, so when, once that came in, it came in, it was just too good to turn down. Um the big achievement that they did manage to make was getting rid of a lot of dead wood. Uh, we got rid of uh, Oxley chamberlain Naby Keita, two players who were on high wages, constantly injured, weren't really contributing to the team. Uh, now, for Liverpool, as far as incomings are concerned, Sobozlai, good, young, dynamic, our new number eight, and in a lot of ways, the number eight that we thought we were getting when we signed Nabi Keita like five years ago, five, six years ago, whatever it was. Uh, he's he's already looking like, you know, the true heir to Steven Gerrard, the way he's playing. I hope he goes on to become as big as he was. Alexis McAllister, like you said, smart signing. We paid his release clause, got it done. And as of this morning, the news has come out that uh, we're also incredibly close to signing uh, Ryan... How do you say his last name? Graven Birch? Graven Birch? Graven Birch. Oh, we're yeah. close to signing yeah. him. Yeah, we're close to signing him from uh, Bayern Munich as well. So overall, I think our midfield has been updated. I, I would, I'd hold back from saying that it's been upgraded, but it has definitely been updated. That's nice. But it's, it's hard for me to feel like it's been a good window because I still feel let down. I still feel like defensively a couple of signings needed to be made. Ideally at the bare minimum, someone needed to come in for like a center back or a right back backup, but that hasn't happened. And yeah, my concern is what you've already mentioned, something that I know a lot of Liverpool fans share and that is squad depth is just non-existent at Liverpool. The drop off from the first uh, 11, the starting 11, is so sharp that it is going to impact our season. I just I just don't know how. And yeah, uh, average at best is how I would describe Liverpool's transfer windows. So let me, let me ask you one thing, right? Um, this is sli- going slightly off topic because I know we discussed this on the last episode. Mohamed Salah. Right. And uh, the reason I come back to this is because obviously, you know, part of a speculated transfer to Saudi Arabia, um, 160 million, I think, is the rumored figure that uh, a club is willing to pay. I think, you know, if you were any other club, you'd be you'd be stupid. And and maybe even Liverpool. Right. It, It is it's just way too much money to not give consideration. Now, the question I had today, different from the Saudi episode is in a year's time, Salah's going to have one year left on his contract, right? He's probably going to go for a lot less money um, that time, or or Saudi clubs are going to be 
in the advantage at that point, and they are going to go, hey, we're not going to pay that much money. We'll we'll pay him wages, which he'll like, but we're not going to pay Liverpool shit. So are you better off getting $160 million for Salah and then replacing him with, I don't know, two quality players or even three? Um, or is it just the kind of cutting-edge kind of ruthlessness that Salah brings that you cannot replace at whatever price? I mean, you would rather lose him for $40 million next year and have him another season. I would rather lose him for $40 million next summer rather than lose him now. And uh, It's a lot of money a lost. Multitude. You know? It's a lot of money lost, but, you know, honestly, there are like a multitude of factors that, you know, uh, play into the decision. Uh, number one, it's far too late in the transfer window to actually do anything about it. I mean, if, if we were talking about this right in the first week of the transfer window, then that's a different uh, discussion. And I honestly, at that point, would not have been surprised if the owners would have been, you know, leaning on accepting that. But you've got you've got redundancies, haven't you? You have Jota who can play on the right. You've got others who can... Look, at the air. end of the day, Mo Salah is Mo Salah. There really isn't anyone else on the planet who can play the way he does, right? I mean, you can you can say Kylian Mbappe, you can say, you know, maybe Vinicius from Real Madrid, but not only do they play on the other side of uh, a front three, Mo Salah is honestly irrepla- irreplaceable. You can... You can uh, Take the 160 million and like you said, spend it on two, three players. You're not going to be able to name two or three players who are going to be that good. Uh, he's someone who's going to be incredibly important to our Champions League push. Uh, I mean, look, the owners have already been told by Klopp that selling Salah is out of the question. And yeah, I agree with that. Uh, selling Salah this summer. It's out of the question. Oh, it's a shame you didn't sign Cole Palmer then. He plays in the same position. He would have been yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. for you. Um, yeah, missed yeah. opportunity there, I guess. We'll just <laughs> we'll just wait a couple of years. When when Salah does move to uh, Saudi, which I do expect it to happen, then, you know, we'll come and uh, pick him up from Chelsea. All right. Let's talk about Chelsea. Actually, you know what? I'm kidding. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, uh, dangle that little carrot in front of you. Uh, We still have to talk about... Yeah, we still have to talk about Manchester United. There's still one club that's standing between us and Chelsea. Just one club, and that is Manchester United. We've spoken about how uh, average Liverpool's transfer window was, right? Miserable. According to you, Manchester United have had a less miserable transfer window than Liverpool have. Care to explain? I think so, and I stick by that. I think this is the season that we were all wanting to see the real Ten Hag legacy take center stage, right? The whole glimpses of possession-based total football that he brings from uh, from Ajax. Uh, we did see that a lot in preseason, but since then has just slightly regressed starting season. I think I think he's just probably realized, you know, he, he's like, oh, let's play total football this season. And then he realized, shit, I don't have the players. These players just can't play total football. Let's go back to counterattacking again. So that's that's so it'll be interesting to see whether he can actually evolve this team over the course of the season. Um, I think the outgoings speak more for United than the incomings, although the incomings are pretty strong. Um, they've lost, or rather removed people like Fred, you know, dead weight, 
Um, Phil Jones, my God, I mean, that's a blast from the past. I, I, I read about him the other day. I was like, he's still at United? That was, that was yeah, a, that was a fucking no shocker for me. Um, and obviously, the window would have been infinitesimally better if they sold Harry Maguire, but unfortunately, you know, they couldn't get that deep. They couldn't fool they couldn't. West, Ham West Ham yeah. into, into snapping him up. Um, but yeah, incomings, I think this is where the margin, they get marginally better than Liverpool in my book. Uh, they signed Mason Mount for 55 million. Thank you very much, United. Um, but yes, a very solid player. I think it's more of a loss for Chelsea and he is going to grow over this season and dominate that midfield. Um, Onana, Steele, I think, uh, a little bit of an upgrade on De Gea. Um, and you know, the fact that he can, he can be the sweeper keeper that De Gea never was. Um, and Rasmus Hoyland. Now I labeled Hoyland as a flop on the last, uh, on one of our last episodes, 75 million for a person with nine goals in Serie A. Don't think he's really going to cut it, but overall I'd say, yeah, pretty, pretty good transfer window. They've bolstered where they needed to. Um, obviously still remains, you know, to be seen if they can really get these last few deals over the line. And yeah, I'm talking about trying to get Mark Kukurea from Chelsea on a loan deal. If that happens, that would be great. Uh, it'll be good. So, back so last I read about that this morning was that they are willing to drop their interest in Kukurea and move on to other targets. So we don't know whether that one will happen for sure. Yeah, and and it's it's a shame that their entire left side is broken down, right? Malasia has got injured recently. Luke Shaw obviously is out long term, so they really need some reinforcements. Um, getting Kukurea off our hands for a loan season would be great, uh, and he'll really do the job. He they they have enough in defense that Kukurea can just do what he does best, which is be a left back, right? Uh, but the one I was really excited with is Sofian Amrabat. Now Amrabat is someone I'm a fan of ever since the World Cup. Uh, and I think getting him for 35 million euros from Fiorentina or a loan deal, whatever it's going to be, will be an absolute fucking steal. Um, and that, for me, that signing for me will make United uh, a decent transfer window. I I really don't know how much I agree with you on this one, to be honest, because I know that they've made signings. I just don't know if they're good signings. I mean, yes, getting David De Gea out, replacing him with Onana. It was it was important because De Gea was someone who was very error-prone. He was also on incredibly high wages. So getting him out of the club, that helps uh, balance the books a little bit. Uh, I know Onana did really well at Inter, but he hasn't really, you know, started out all too well at Manchester United. Maybe he'll just yeah. take time. Fine. Fair point. I'm, you know, I'm willing to wait. Yeah, I'm willing to wait. He might uh, turn out to be good. The problem is, this is a statement that could be said for the other two players that United have signed as well. I mean, Mason Mount, exciting player. Uh, don't know why Chelsea let him go, but, you know, th- that is what it is. He seemed like the perfect signing for United, and he just hasn't hit the ground running. And I don't really know what that comes down to, because it's not like he's in a new league. He's playing in the same league that he's uh, played in before. Uh, Maybe he's just taking some time to get used to his uh, surroundings, you know, to get used to whatever system Ten Hag is trying to put into play, which I don't think we still know what system that is. Uh, The players around him, you know, he needs to adapt to as well. It's another one that 
we can put into the category of, you know, oh, well, maybe he'll, maybe he'll turn out to be good. Who knows? And then, yeah, the last person on the list is uh, Hoyland, like you said. Uh, paid a massive amount for him, incredibly young, 20 years old. Scored, like, nine goals, like you said, in Serie A. Uh, I haven't seen this guy play. Uh, I don't know if you have. Um, he's been injured ever since he signed. So, yeah, he's he, Yeah, he's, he, he's been injured. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's an incredible amount of confidence to have in someone so young and so inexperienced. And I think United fans, more so than anything, will be hoping he doesn't go the Jadon Sancho route, you know? I think United just wanted someone that sounds like Holland. They're like, you know, let's just get Hoyland. I mean, he sounds similar. He'll probably hit 40 goals. It's similar. Yeah. It's very similar. Blonde, Norwegian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hoyland is not Norwegian. He's Danish, right? That's one of the reasons why I would say Manchester United, for me, are the ones who've had the more miserable window because their signings are a bit questionable. They haven't hit the ground running, so you don't really know what you're getting. They do, at least in terms of numbers, have a stronger squad than Liverpool, so maybe that gives them an edge. But Liverpool signings have hit the ground running, are already playing well, and are already having an impact. How the season ends, I guess, you know, that's just something we will find out in due time. Okay, so now that brings us to our final category and your, your, your time to shine. We're going to talk about Chelsea, oh, yeah. and this category is called Chaos. We're going to take a look at Chelsea, who've spent incredible amounts of money in this transfer window. And we're going to contrast it with another club who honestly should have been spending as well, given that they didn't have a good time in the league the past two seasons, but they still haven't. And both of us had uh, this club as uh, going down at the end of the season, getting relegated. That club is Everton. So we're going to take a look at Chelsea's spending spree and we're going to compare it to Everton's spending restraint. Okay, I'm, I'm going to let you go into that. Uh, just going to give you free reign. The stage is yours. <laughs> so I got, first of all, how much time have you got, right? Because I, I could take the next hour or, or, or three if you if you let me. So so yeah, uh, uh, give me give me give me a ring fence when you when you feel like I'm I'm, I'm rambling on. But I'm, I'm going to cut you off right there because we're going to lose listeners if you talk about this for an hour and I am going to fall asleep because well, if, it's just far too if much. If you fall asleep, then, you know, I'm going to get four so, more, but uh, four more hours. But yeah. Um, so so let me let me let me ask you this just so I can rein you in, because I realize now that I've made a mistake by saying that I'm giving you free reign, <laughs> well, which no evidently is a bad idea. No backsies. So. Let me ask you this one question. One of many, just so you know, you get your chance to talk about Chelsea. Going into this summer transfer window, what did you really expect from Chelsea? Uh, Not much different to what we've seen, uh, which is, I have no fucking clue. So, bolonomics, which is a term that I invented last episode, is something that's going to... Uh, you know, dominate the next few transfer windows and nobody really understands why. Uh, I talked about Liverpool and obviously criticised their thinly, sort of thinly fattened squad, right, if you will. 23 players, that's a pretty small squad. Get a hold of this. We have, not surprisingly, the largest squad in the league. Uh, Unmanageable at times. But there's a silver lining. 
get a hold of this. We got rid of 32 players this transfer window, including loans, releases, transfers, whatever. 32 players. That's the Toddster and Co. have got rid of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Ethan Ampadu, Khalidu Koulibaly, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, finally, Angolo Kante, Kepa, Cesar Aspilicueta. The list goes on, you know, and then, you know, I'm not even including the white whales like Kai Havertz and Mason Mount, Edward Mendy, Christian Pulisic, Mateo Kovacic. I could literally go on. Well, you were not going to mention it, but I see you're still mentioning I, it. I am, I am. And, I'm, and, a, and a whole host of uh, academy players, like I mentioned, you know, Lewis Hall to Newcastle being one of them. We've generated £285 million in sales, loans, releases, wages, whatever. And that's not bad, like, right? That for, for the crazy amount of that's spending, yeah, just in a single window, us, uh, us basically wiping out the entire debt from last window in the next one. So that, 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 that's, the, um, that's the positive there. Incoming, so I think, I think balancing the books-wise and the fact that FFP doesn't really start to apply unless we get into the European competitions... Um, is something that Bowley and Co have have worked well with. Now, looking at incomings, I think we've we've made a few smart signings. Uh, we we had Axel Dizassi from uh, Monaco, uh, good you know strong defender. Score, scored on his debut against Liverpool. Absolutely, yeah, scrappy goal, but uh, yeah, he'll he'll take it. I think um, not a very forward moving defender, so it doesn't really move with the ball into midfield, but can can be pretty solid at the back, limited ability, right? And is a good deputy to to Thiago Silva if you if you if you look at it. Um Nicholas Jackson, I think for me personally, was a very astute signing. Um he's raw, he's obviously bambi legged, you know, kind of uh, keeps losing the ball uh some of the time, but ha- but makes really, really precise runs between the lines. And for someone who's 22, I think that's a, that's a really good attribute. He's only going to get better with age. Is he your next Didier Drogba? He could be. He 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 really could be. I mean, he was fancied as the next Didier Drogba when he signed. Uh, depending on his sort of temperament and ability, I think he definitely could be. He's showing signs of it. Um, maybe not a Premier League striker yet, but uh, give him give him another season. I think barring injury, this could be a very good signing. And 30 million, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good price. Um, and he has uh, shown pretty well with um, Raheem Sterling in the last two games. So I think that could be a good combo for Chelsea going forward. Um, the other signing, obviously, at the back. So I want to I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this, right? Like uh, we we can talk all day long about the people that have come into Chelsea. I'm going to read you a list really quickly that I found online. Uh, Caicedo from Brighton, Lavia from Southampton. Uh, I'm not going to go into how much was paid for these players because I think when it comes to Chelsea, it doesn't really matter. Caicedo came pretty cheap, right? Oh, so, in Kunku. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just, just you know, pocket change. 115, yeah. I mean, everyone oh. pays that these days. Yeah, I, 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 I'm trying to forget that, but uh, <laughs> it's hard to. But moving on, uh, Christopher Nkunku, uh, RB Leipzig, uh, Axel Dizassi, that's how you say his name? Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in from Monaco. Uh, Nicholas Jackson, Villarreal. Everyone else that I'm looking on the list are, you know, either youngsters who signed for not that much. Uh, I think the only other person that stands out, given that, you know, 
uh, you've lost Kepa on loan and uh, you sold M- Mandy to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the person I'm talking about is uh, Robert Sanchez from Brighton. Which one of these players excites you the most? When he comes back from injury, Christopher Nkunku. I think there is a major cog missing in Chelsea's attack with him there. We looked imperious in preseason, and I was actually surprised the 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 stark difference in quality from last season. And it was because Nkunku gave us that cutting thrust. He can even play as a fo- as a false nine, uh, a true false nine, you know, ironically, which Havertz was never last season. So I am truly excited by that. Obviously, unfortunately, knee injury, and he's out for, you know, four months. Uh, but when he comes back, hopefully he's still at the same level that he is. I feel he's the most exciting. You know I'm going to tell you who the least least exciting is, and it's Robert Sanchez for me, to be honest. You named him. But why we would buy a backup Brighton goalkeeper uh, between the sticks when we had, arguably, two goalkeepers who were better than Sanchez, I feel, personally. Both Kepa with his, you know, late resurgence last season and Mendy for his heroics uh, in the Champions League were both better goalkeepers overall than Sanchez. So I, I am baffled, befuddled by that fucking move. I couldn't understand it either, but, you know, I feel it has something to do with uh, the wages that both players were on. That's that's just what I think it is. Likely. Uh, Kepa, of course, is loan, so he's going to come back at the end of the season. Uh, and I, he's gone to Madrid, right? I, I, I don't think Madrid will intend to sign him on a permanent basis because they have Courtois, who unfortunately is uh, injured. Yes. The one season that Liverpool aren't in the Champions League, Courtois is injured. Fucking hell. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you about all the players that you've sold. I know you mentioned all of them. Uh, I'm just going to quickly run through them. Kai Havertz, Mason Mount, Kovacic, Gulabali, Pulisic... Uh, Edward Mendy, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Ethan Ampadu, Aubameyang, Azpilicueta, I guess you can count as well, and Golo Kante you can count as well. Bakayoko, gone as well. Finally. Now, if you if you remove Kai Havertz from this list, which player are you happy to have sold? Um... I think you mean players because there's, there's there's no way I can just pick one from this list. I think we well, well you're gonna have to. Well, uh, the, the player that you're most uh, you know thrilled is out of your club. It's a hard one. Really, you're taking time. I I would have I would have guessed it. You know, would have been Aubameyang straight away. But Aubameyang really never added. He didn't come with much hype, did he? I mean, he wasn't someone I was excited to see that disappointed me. He's he he's got to have had high expectations for me to not you know like him at the very end i think in that so 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 if i if i purely purely looked at it from a from an expectation point of view um i have a tie surprisingly um and and i and i think you can give me that because we we've got 30 players out and i'm only giving you two which is which is quite an improvement i would have given you 15 if i could um, I think we should really just rename this podcast the Nil Nil Podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We should. We definitely should. Because it always ends in a fucking tie. <laughs> um, when you think about it, it would have been perfect. Because as a Liverpool supporter and you as a Chelsea supporter, uh, all of the recent Chelsea versus Liverpool games have all been draws. Yeah, would have been perfect. Fair enough. Yeah, it's too late to change now, but yeah, yeah, we are. The player that disappointed me the most, uh, even when they left, I think I'll probably frame it that way, is. 
Khalidu Koulibaly, right? He came to much fanfare. Maybe, in my opinion, we signed him two seasons too late. We should have signed him when he was 28 rather than 31. Uh, and I think that just that little drop in pace made him um, a, a liability in the Premier League. Um, and the second one is Christian Pulisic. We bought him for about 50 million from Dortmund. Uh, wonder kid again, you know, great things expected, but I don't think he really lived up to his hype. I mean, he was he was a he was a king. He was a giant with the U.S. men's national team, but really couldn't replicate any of that form with Chelsea. And ultimately, when he ended up leaving for 25 million, I think we still broke even with that price. But I think he's someone who's frustrated me the most um, across the uh, whatever four seasons he's been at the club. So yeah. Those are the two players for me. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you have your small moment. Any closing arguments for Chelsea? I think there's a silver lining with this team. They are young. They're hungry. They have Pochettino who can really drill his mentality into those players. I think I think we've really got a bright future as long as they don't get injured. The only liability, I think, for Chelsea, and I think you probably mentioned this earlier in the season, was the two fullbacks, Right. Ben Chilwell and Reese James. Yeah. I think they are both... Reese James, very injury prone. Absolutely. Captain of the club. And both of them, I think, are as much a strength for us as they are a liability. Because we rely so much on our width and fullbacks flying forward that um, that could either make or break our season. That is true. That is true. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to the final team that we're going to take a look at. And that is Everton. They've uh, had issues with FFP. Uh, they've sold some players. They've bought some players. Uh, I saw recently they signed a new striker. Uh, and I think he's their only significant uh, signing this summer. Which, to be fair to Everton, they, they've, they've needed a striker for a fair amount of time. So maybe he could be the difference maker to their season. Who knows? Uh, I was looking at their spend for this uh, summer transfer window, and they have spent, not the least, the second least amount in the Premier League, which for a club that has flirted with relegation for two seasons in a row, and let's be honest, look on track to battle relegation for a third season in a row, that is not looking great for them. The fact that they've been just 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 str- struggling um, for most parts of the season, obviously managerial appointments didn't help uh, their their cause. Uh, the massive stadium rebuild comes as a pretty you know a massive blocker to any progress that can be made long term. Uh, we saw the same thing with Spurs, where they had a massive investment and then they went through a period where they didn't sign any players. So Everton have probably you know cautioned again, caution thrown caution to the winds in a way, and kind of just just really tried to curb down. But they're not at the level of Spurs. I think they they face tons of more problems uh, uh, lasting an entire 38-game season. So I think I've said this before on the podcast. I'll say it again. Like As fun as it is to see Everton battling relegation, it's not something that I actually want because I want to be able to watch Liverpool play Everton twice a season at least. And kind of bring, brings and out the I best in them, right? Stays. You always see Everton at their best yeah, when they yeah. play Liverpool. It's, it's one of the most exciting games, yeah. And yeah, I, I hope they survive this season as well. 
it, it doesn't look, at least from the way the summer has gone, that that's going to be possible. But who knows? So, you know, stranger things have happened in the Premier League. Now, we're, we're a bit pressed for time. I know we wanted to talk about a bit more teams. You know, West Ham, who did exceptionally well. Brighton, who sold exceptionally well. And even Aston Villa, who bought smart. But we're, we're going to probably leave that for a later date. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, Mir, really quickly, let me ask you this. If you had to pick two winners uh, from this transfer window, who would you pick? Manchester City and Tottenham Hotspur. Fair, fair. For me... Uh, I would say Manchester City, just like you. I don't think there's any debating that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just a strong team that has somehow come out stronger. Yeah. And you'd be surprised to hear my second uh, pick. I actually think it's Chelsea. No way. Yeah, I, I, I do. I don't think it's look, Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea. Look, the reason I think it's Chelsea is because it's like you said, they got rid of an incredible amount of dead weight. And they've replaced it with incredibly young, incredibly talented, incredibly exciting players. Whether they go on to become that over the next season or two, it's a different thing. But the way things stand today, they've probably they probably have the best collection of youngsters uh, in the Premier League. And if it works out for them, they could go on to dominate for a fair amount of time. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. That's fair. Okay. Losers, I need you to pick two. I'm going to I'm going to follow my gut and I'm going to follow my commitment. So these were two teams that I placed outside the top 4 when we did our uh season predictions. Predictions. And I'm going to stick with that. So my losers for this transfer window and therefore continuing as losers throughout the season would be Arsenal and Manchester United. Um Arsenal stupid signings as we said. Uh, and maybe they tail off from the highs of last season. Man United, decent signings, as I mentioned, but just maybe not coming together as a team. So overall, um, those signings might amount to not much at all. All right, that's that's fair. That's fair. My pick, the two picks that I have for losers of the transfer window... Oh, the first one is, in fact, Arsenal. So you and I have, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, same conclusion. They've signed Declan Rice, good player. They've signed Kai Havertz. Um, absolutely no fucking clue why. And Timber, good signing, got injured, not really leaving the club with much room to do anything about it. Leaves them in a bit of a precarious uh, situation going in. And honestly, the only worthy candidate that they've brought in is Declan Rice. My second team might also surprise you. It's Chelsea. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. But, to be honest, I feel that's a more realistic assessment for me because I'm looking long-term. Look, the reason, the reason, the reason I've got them as also the losers of this window is because there's a lot of dysfunction around the club. Uh, they... They're, they're honestly, it's, you know, with Chelsea, it's a coin flip. Uh, I said that they have the most exciting crop of youngsters uh, in the Premier League today. But they've all been signed to, like, incredibly long-term contracts, seven, eight-year contracts. It is something that over time is going to put a strain on uh, Chelsea when it comes to complying with FFP. Uh, there's always this question of what do you do if these signings don't work out? You know, we still don't know what Todd Bowley's... Uh, yeah 
ownership style really is if Pochettino isn't really meeting uh, his goals you know come the middle of the season are they going to re- look to replace Pochettino as well they've made good signings but they've taken massive massive risks uh, long term and I think we've spoken about this before when it comes to Chelsea it's either going to go spectacularly well over the long term or it's going to go devastatingly wrong there, there doesn't really look like there's a middle ground with Chelsea. So, for me, that's also why they're the losers of the transfer window as well. And that's precisely why it's the most um, uncomfortable position to be in because you do not absolutely do not know where this is headed. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea, it's, it's a coin flip. It could go either way, really. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, another transfer window has come and gone and another... Pitch Life podcast uh, transfer window review has come and gone. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of opinions that a lot of people don't really agree with. That's okay. That's just the world of football. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you continue listening in. Uh, We've got a lot of good content uh, lined up. We're working hard on that. Uh, All in all, we want to thank you for your support. If you like what we do, go ahead, spread the word. And uh, yeah, until next time. Thanks, guys. Cheers. 